Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. There are so many religions and cults and sects around nowadays, aren't there? And I don't know about you, but this often poses a particular problem for me, because people ask me, how should we relate to them? And what about Islam and Hinduism and Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses? Are these people in the same faith as we are? Is their God our God? Is their way of salvation the biblical way of salvation? Can we associate with them? Can we have fellowship? Where does the interfaith movement lie in all of this and so on? So today I want to just examine five. Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, but from a specific perspective. You see... I found that the easiest and quickest way to determine the orthodoxy, if I can use that word, of a faith system, be it a cult or a sect or a world religion, is to first determine what they say about the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, according to the Bible, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the exact representation of his being. And it says, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. That's in Colossians 1.15, Hebrews 1.3, and again Colossians 2.9. So Jesus is God manifest, and we have the accurate record of four Gospels setting out his life and his teachings, what he said and what he did, what he revealed of the triune Godhead. So surely he's the yardstick, he's the plumb line that we can hold up against any religious systems, any truth claims that might be made. When you start to reduce things down to their absolute core beliefs, you can start reducing all the way down until you get to just two things, the Word of God, Jesus and the Bible. For Jesus is the living Word of God, and the Scripture, the Bible, is the inscripturated, the written Word of God. So, Jesus, as revealed in the Bible, becomes the yardstick. So with that in mind, just a very, very brief survey of how these five religious situations relate to Jesus. First, Islam. Now in terms of Islam, Jesus is seen by them only as a messenger of Allah. They say Jesus was a prophet, sure. But they deny that Jesus is both God and man. And they deny that he was crucified. However, they do affirm that he was born of a virgin, that he was sinless. So they have a high view of Jesus, but they deny his unique divinity, and they deny his way of salvation. So, if Jesus did not come to earth as the full representation of God, if Jesus Christ was not truly God incarnate, and he did not die on the cross of Calvary for the sins of mankind, then the biblical way of salvation is a false way. So it's very difficult to find points of commonality with Islam when you're talking about their core faith beliefs. Second is Hinduism. Now there are numerous sects within Hinduism, but most of them hold to certain core teachings. For instance, they believe in what they call Brahman, as the divine essence of all that exists, an impersonal, eternal force that is beyond all human comprehension. Now they have many gods and goddesses, I don't know how many hundreds, but hundreds and hundreds of goddesses and little gods. 
But these are generally believed to be manifestations of the divine essence of Brahman. They have a strange word, it's called an avatar. And this name they give to the appearances on earth of one of these deities. So when a man has particular qualities on earth, a religious teacher, they might well say, well, he is the incarnation. He is the appearance on earth of one of these many hundreds of deities. Some strains of Hinduism claim that Jesus was just such an avatar. However, most of them hold that he was simply an enlightened teacher. That means he was one of their masters or gurus, the same as the other great teachers. So again, hard to find a commonality there. Buddhism is a, a, a different case altogether because Buddhism really is a philosophy more than a religion. It's a philosophy of how we should live a happy life. And Buddhism predates Christianity by some 600 years. So in their core writings, in their doctrinal statements and teachings and so on, they take no account of Jesus whatsoever because he only came to earth 600 years later. If they do have any view at all of Jesus, the modern Buddhist would probably regard him as an enlightened teacher, and that's all. Now let's get to two that are far closer to us in the Orthodox Christian sphere, and therefore often create for us greater problems. The first is Mormonism. Mormonism is officially titled the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So they call themselves the Church of Jesus Christ. So that would be pretty four-square center, the Church of Jesus Christ. But of course the big question is, is the Jesus that they talk about the biblical Jesus of Nazareth, or is he the invention of the Latter-day Saints? Well, in terms of their key teachings again, Jesus was birthed in some pre-earthly existence. Actually, many of them teach that he was born on another planet. He was born of a flesh and bone divine man and a flesh and bone wife. These two cohabited and produced sons, Jesus being the first of many sons. They also claim, most of them that I can find, that Satan was in fact Jesus' younger brother. Well, this is not the Jesus revealed to us in Scripture. This is not the one who presents himself as the full manifestation of God in bodily form. The last one I want to touch on is Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, first of all, in terms of Jehovah's Witness teaching, God is a single person, is not a trinity, so they are totally anti-Trinitarian. They teach that God... Jehovah, first created Michael the archangel. So his first creation was Michael. And that Michael then created all other things. Man, included in that, then sinned. And when the time came for a Messiah to come to earth to redeem sinful humanity, Michael the archangel became a human in the form of Jesus. So, in terms of Jehovah's Witness doctrine, Jesus was created and he's therefore not God. He's not part of any supposed trinity from their perspective. The Jehovah's Witness doctrine of salvation, by the way, sets out three requirements for salvation. First is a proper knowledge of God and Jesus. A proper knowledge of God and Jesus. What they mean by that is their particular 
doctrine concerning God and Jesus. Second way of salvation for them is obedience to God's laws. And the third one is membership of and loyalty to the one true church, which they regard as theirs, of course. So this is neither the Jesus of the Bible nor the way of salvation that the scripture and Jesus reveals. So it's pretty clear from just this brief overview that the Jesus of Mormon and Jehovah's Witness claim is not the Jesus revealed in and through the Bible. Nor is the Jesus acknowledged by Hinduism, Islam and Buddhism the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of these religions cannot save anyone in and of himself and he cannot be worshipped as God. Okay, now I've given some links on my post to the core doctrine statements. Well, the core uh, evidences, the core scriptures. For instance, I've given a link on my site to the Islam Quran and the Vedas of Hinduism and the doc documents of Buddhism and the Book of Mormon and the New World Translation of the Scriptures. So if anybody wants to follow and study a little bit more, click on those links, it'll take you to it. But now I'm going to bring Corin in as usual, my daughter Corin, for the question and answer session, because we're going to be touching on some additional aspects of what I've just spoken about, and we're also going to tackle the, the real elephant in the room for many Christians, and that is, where does Roman Catholicism sit? in all of this. So, hi Karen. You know, it feels weird if I don't say, hey daddy, to start with, so hey daddy. <laughs> 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 we want to talk about religion today and specifically how they see Jesus. Um, yes. Now it's such a huge topic that I suppose we have to have come, some kind of focal point and that's a, a great focal point to have. But obviously, we're going to just be covering um, everything with a very broad brush. Yes, indeed. You know, there, there will always be people that aren't, you know, will call themselves something, but, will, you know, will be slightly different and believe slightly different things. And I just, I don't mean to offend anyone. Um, I know I have foot in mouth disease, so I'm just going to put yeah, that right up front. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, there are so many little variations of sects and cults and religious systems and so on that you can't cover them all. So we'll, we'll have to spend, speak in fairly generalized yeah. terms, obviously. Okay, cool. Well, then to generally start, uh, um, yes. how about defining the word religion, which is a word that I can't stand because too many people have said to me, oh, but you are religious. Yeah, okay. Now, you see, I have a similar problem with the word because the, technically the word religion really just is used to describe any faith system, mm. any any system of understanding our relationship to some divine entity. Yes. That's a religion. But I define it always very negatively because of the very problem that you're raising because it, it when people say the word religion, they obviously mean usually mean, well then if you're a Christian you must be religious because Christianity is a religion. But I don't regard Christianity as a religion. I regard it as a relationship with the living God in and through Christ Jesus. And I find it helpful to make that distinction. So that when I use the word religion I'm not speaking positively really, I'm speaking negatively. When I use the word relationship I'm referring to what we have with Jesus. For me, it always feels like religion is the constructs that man made and the rules that man made around what what started off as a relationship. 
you know, it feels more like the, the formalities and not, not, not anything to do with the actual intimate relationship with God and with Jesus. Yeah, um, the word religion comes from a Latin, really, religere, which means to bind to oneself. <laughs> and, and so some folk take that positively, saying religion is this uh, unifying thing, but actually mm. I think it's the thing that binds us, literally ties yeah. us up. Well, people love to say religi- religion is what starts all the wars and that sort of thing as well. Yeah, well, religions do start wars, but of course yeah. not half as much as communism and things like that, <laughs> yeah. believe me. Not even in all of history. Mm. But, you know, some wars have been started over religious issues, but wars are not started out of a relationship with Jesus. That you can be sure of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so I wanted to ask you why you actually think... Now, I know obviously we did, the, we did a post on this and you did this um, short truth talk to start with, but why do you think that we should actually care about these other religions? Why... Can't we just let them be and who cares if we know about them or not? Just let them have their own beliefs, you know, whatever. Okay. This is a rich question seeing you suggested the topic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I'll give, you, I'll give you my answer to it. First of all, you know, whether we agree with people's doctrines and their religious systems, we still have to get along with folk in this world. So it really helps to understand just a little bit about what they do believe about key issues. Mm. so that we can understand where they're coming from and so on, and we can respect them as human beings. We can also, it helps us to recognize some of the good features of it. Yeah. For instance, you know, bef- just before we started this chat, when we were offline, we were talking about um, Mormon families. Yes. And their, their value of family is, in fact, a very positive attribute. Mm. You know, so it's good to be able to respect their positive aspects. But also it gives us an opportunity to talk truth. So if we understand mm. a little bit about what they understand concerning Jesus and the Bible, then we have a basis for being able to come along and say, okay, let, let me maybe give you another answer to this, another way of looking at Jesus through the scriptures. But now if you've got a, a, a person that's very staunch in their religion or faith, then that could cause conflict. And then the rest of the world is just going to sort of point and go, ha, look at the religious people squabbling. Yeah, but again, you know, um, you see, I have a problem with anybody trying to Bible bash or to try and aggressively evangelize, no matter what Mm. their faith base is. Hmm. Because for me, the scripture says this, always be prepared to share your faith, but when you do, do so with gentleness and respect. Okay. So so when we're talking to people, it doesn't about these issues. It it shouldn't really be aggressive, and it shouldn't be dogmatic, and it shouldn't. When I say dogmatic, there is only one truth. I understand and accept Mm. that, but dogmatic in as opposed to I'm not going to listen to you. Yeah. We should be listening and hearing and discussing and speaking out of a heart that actually cares for the people. Now, that can't cause problems. I don't think if it's if it's handled on that basis. So you you can't be a Jehovah's Witness, I'm afraid. <laughs> that would be well, knocking I, on I'm doors. I'm sure we're going to talk about them just now. Aren't we? <laughs> let's let's start with Roman Catholicism, and, and you were saying to me that it has to be Roman Catholicism, not just Catholicism, because Catholicism is all encompassing. You said. Okay, it's not that Catholicism is different from Roman Catholicism. It just means that the word okay. Catholic means. In an English language, it means wide, general, all-encompassing. So, you know, in that sense, everybody's Catholic, you know, we're all part of a huge, big thing. 
So it's Roman Catholicism identifies okay, the it. system whereby the Pope in the Vatican is the head of a church system called the Roman Catholic Church. Now I know that there's, I haven't, I don't think I've actually been to a service. I know there's a lot of rituals and that sort of thing that, that, that goes on and specific events that happen every Sunday and what have you. But what, how do they view Jesus? How are they different to us? You know, when it comes to the other world faiths like Islam yeah. and Hinduism and so on, it's very easy because they, they don't think that Jesus mm. was God. He was just a teacher or whatever. So the line is very easy to identify. When it comes to Roman Catholicism, though, their doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely orthodox. So it is as clearly enunciated as you'll get in any Protestant church. What makes it tricky is the uniqueness of Jesus comes under question in Roman Catholicism. Because they, they have other statements, for instance, which says, yes, Jesus uh, was conceived uh, by a virgin birth, but so was Mary immaculately conceived. So Jesus ascended into heaven, so did Mary. And uh, yes, Jesus is the Savior, but so is Mary. Where did that come from? Well, it comes from the Roman Catholic belief system, which has grown, grown up over a long period of time. But so, it's, not, it's not biblical. No, you see, and so here comes the anomaly. You see, you have, you have doctrinal statements about Jesus, which are absolutely orthodox, but then right next to them are equally dogmatic statements about Mary, which takes away from the uniqueness of Jesus. Hmm. When it comes to the Bible, it's the same thing. If you look at what the Roman Catholics say about the Bible, it's inspired, written word of God, just like mm. any Protestant would say. Mm. But then they add to it, yes, but what the Pope says when he's sitting in the throne, as they call it, ex cathedra, when he makes declarations and yeah. rulings on doctrine, those have equal weight and force and effect as scriptures. Sure. So again, by adding to it, it is taking away from the unique inspiration and authority of Scripture. So all down the line, in all the key issues, they have the same belief system, but then add to it. So the real question is, by adding to these key core beliefs, does that adding to effectively negate it? See? Mm. And that's what makes it tricky. Mm. But fortunately for um, me as a Protestant theologian, I don't have to make judgments about the Roman Catholic Church and I don't have to find ways to try and harmonize with them. And the reason for that is because the Roman Catholic Church ex itself doesn't regard Protestant churches as true church. <laughs> so wow. for, yeah, they have one church and that's the Roman Catholic Church. Hmm. All other Protestant denominations are kind of lost cousins. Mm who they hope will one day find reason and come back to the family. So so Catholicism excludes me. Therefore, yeah. I don't really have to fight the battle of, hey, you know, should I associate, um, uh, how do we find common ground and all that? Because they don't want to find common ground with you anyway. Well, well not not at that level. Although, you know, they would uh, Roman Catholics are good, law-abiding, um, God-fearing people. Mm. So they would want peace and they'd want to find points of harmony with the Protestant mm. Church. Mm. But yet they would be adamant that the Protestant Church has lost its way. Mm. Um, where, where does Anglican fit in? Okay, well, Anglicanism originally came out of Roman Catholicism. And essentially the story is quite interesting. 
It was at a time when England was ruled by a Roman Catholic king. Yeah. And he wanted to divorce his wife. Mm. And the Pope said, no, you may not. Divorce mm. is sinful. You can't do that. So, he, like a typical king, he said, well, to hang with that, we'll then break ties with the Vatican, mm. and I'll create my own Pope, and I'll call him the Archbishop of Canterbury. Mm. So, originally, Anglicanism grew out of Catholicism, and there was no difference. E- even today, you have high Anglican Church, which is, you know, really, it's, it's the same thing as Roman Catholicism. But you do have other forms of Anglicanism, which were far more Protestant in their orientation. So, there's a bit of a spectrum there. Sure, I didn't realize that. Yeah. It's, you know, you're talking about um, a, a king moving away from his religion because he wanted a divorce and starting his own religion does remind me of a different uh, religion um, that starts with a with a, a S and ends with a Scientology, but I don't think we should discuss that today. <laughs> Scientology. <laughs> I don't mind using the name that shall not be uttered. <laughs> yeah, that is a, that is a religious system, but yeah. basically, and a very strange one. But if we've got time, we can talk about them, but you've probably got bigger questions. Well, I actually would like to know about Seventh-day Adventists because I have recently found out that someone I'm friends with is a Seventh-day Adventist. Okay. And you didn't cover that, so what's their story? Okay, now the reason I didn't cover it is simply because Seventh-day Adventism, certainly in my humble opinion, is pretty orthodox. So what they believe about Jesus is exactly the same as I would. What they mm. believe about the Bible is the same. They don't regard themselves as the only and exclusive church and so on. Mm. What they do is they have a, a little grouping of doctrines which would not be accepted by mainline Protestant churches. For instance, one is Sabbath observance. Mm. So they say, no, we should only be worshipping on Saturday. Mm. But they don't separate themselves from churches that worship on Sunday on that they just say they don't believe that Sabbath has ever been done away with it's a Saturday and that's the way it should be then they have some dietary laws coming out of Mm. Leviticus where they say you know you you should abstain from certain foods and so on Mm. but in my opinion that's small change stuff Uh, then they have a strange doctrine called soul sleep which says that when you die you don't go straight to be with Jesus you go into this kind of suspended animation until the resurrection so, so Seventh-day Adventists, oh, and by the, the, the Adventist part comes in a, a big focus that they have in the second coming of Jesus. Mm. Seventh-day bit is Saturdays. Yeah, okay. So, so really they would be, I would regard them as a normal Protestant church with certain uh, rather peripheral doctrines, really, which are quite different from most mm. Christian organizations. But don't really pull away from, uh, you know, too badly from the core belief. No, that's, that's the important thing. You see, when we, when we have to draw a line between who, do, who can we associate with, who can we do work with, who can we uh, regard as brothers and sisters within the household of the Lord Jesus Christ, mm. they would certainly fall within that. Yes. Whereas, uh, can we regard Islam as that? No. Mm. Can we regard um, Jehovah's Witnesses, which we haven't talked about yet, as that answer would be no. That's so sad. You know, I've I've got a friend, as you know, who is a Jehovah's Witness and became one when she became a quadriplegic. And 
I don't, you know, we discussed it a little bit in the beginning, but what really struck out to me was that she believes and they believe that the body that you've got now is the body that you're going to have for eternity. So she's going to be quadriplegic for eternity in her mind, which is just, for me, it's, it's devastating. So tell me, if, if, you know, you've, you missed the revelations, yeah. missed the book of revelations. <laughs> what, what is, what are the differences between our beliefs, Jehovah's Witnesses' beliefs, Seventh-day Adventist beliefs, after we die? Where's the... You know, that purgatory or the Hades or the um, people coming back to life to be judged. Where does that all fit in? Uh, okay, well, essentially the Orthodox Christian doctrine is this. That when a believer, one who is born again of the Spirit of God in the name of Jesus, when he or she dies, that person goes immediately into the presence of Jesus. Okay. So we're in heaven. Mm. When Jesus comes a second time at the end of all things to wrap up this world system and to create a new heaven earth, those mm. who have died in Christ, those folk who have passed on, are with him already. They come with him. Those okay. Christians who are still on the earth are then caught up. You know, it's the famous word raptured. raptured yeah. Caught up and together the whole church has now come together as one and they are we are all then given resurrected bodies. Okay. And the only thing that the scripture talks about the nature of that resurrected body is in the example of Jesus. Mm. So we look at Jesus when he rose from the tomb and we see that he was recognizable by people in his, mm. in his resurrected body, mm. but only when they had a second cue. So there was something yes. subtly different about him. He had to say something and then that's, oh, it's you, Jesus. Mm. And you have all these little clues. We also know that he could be... In, instantly from one place and move you know several hundred kilometers to another place in the blink of an eye he mm. could also appear in the middle of a room yeah so it was a definitely a different but yet still very physical body now mm. the scripture doesn't give other descriptions so to to make a dogmatic claim that that body is the same as the one we had on earth uh, you can't be based on scripture and is rather bizarre frankly for, for the reasons you say, I mean, this body of mine, for instance, is really de deteriorating seriously. Yes, I've cut like a fresh one. Yeah, I, I hope to live into my <laughs> 80s. By that time, I'm going to be a real old croc. And I, 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 would, I would not really like to be in all eternity as a croc. But Jesus did show them the scars in his hands. Yes, he did. And I think there's a perfectly good reason for that, because that was necessary to declare to his his disciples who he really mm. was and mm. and the fact that he really had been crucified and he really had come back from that. It's quite extraordinary that people were like, Jesus? Is that you? And they, you know, it wasn't that long since they'd seen him. Yeah, you know, Mary in, in the garden is the classic example of that. Mm. She, she walks out blinded by tears. She basically almost bumps into him. Yeah. She thinks he's the gardener, but she knows him probably better than anybody. He exactly, yes. And then he has to say, Mary. And then mm. she says, oh, it's you. Yeah. But meanwhile, she's saying to him, you know, Mr. Gardner, where have you taken my Lord? <laughs> so, interesting. But um, that, that, that's only those clues that we can, we can understand from. But, you know, when you're talking about Jehovah's Witnesses, the differences are far more than that kind of uh, a difference. Okay. 
you know, as I explained in my post, they first of all totally anti-Trinitarian. Mm. So that means they do not believe in a triune God at all. Mm. They uh, believe that God created Michael the archangel f- first, and that Michael then created everything else, including us. That um, when man sinned and was in need of a savior, Michael became a man in the in the name of Jesus. Mm. So that Jesus of Nazareth was really just Michael the archangel in disguise, and that. Um, you know, Jesus was therefore created and is therefore not God. It seems that there's a common theme running through all of these things on how religions view Jesus is if they view Jesus as the one and only Savior or as another prophet or nothing at all. That seems to be the the huge dividing line. Yes, I mean, the, the words I would use are uh, the orthodox belief, and for me the plumb line, is the uniqueness, divinity, and humanity of Jesus. Mm. Jesus was fully God, yet fully man, mm. and uniquely so. Yes. So when any of those are played with, uh, no, he wasn't unique, there's another one like him, call it mm. Mary or whatever. Mm. Uh, or, no, Jesus was only a man. Or, one of no, Jesus prophets. was just a divine spirit. Mm. then we have moved away from the plumb line of orthodoxy. Doesn't it say in Revelations as well that people will rise from the dead and be judged? Well, yeah, it's not only in Revelation. The point is, you know, man lives once on this earth, mm. and after that is judgment. Mm. Now, the, the only difference in beliefs on that is that if you are already born again, if you already are a disciple of the Lord Jesus, then judgment has already occurred. You've been saved from judgment. Mm. But we'll all have to give account for the things that we do on earth. Yeah. So there's an accounting more than a judgment. Yeah. Those who have not bent the knee to Jesus, who have not been born again of the Spirit of God, there will be a judgment. And the judgment is, you know, I came to earth, I declared myself who I was, I offered salvation, you did not avail yourself of that, therefore you continue in death, you continue mm. in separation. That's the ultimate judgment. Hmm. So where are they now, those the people waiting for judgment? Well, again, you know, um, the scriptures don't tell us enough about that. For instance, mm. some folks say, yes, but actually the judgment occurs when a person dies. Mm. Yet the book of Revelation and other places really seem to indicate a uh, a final reckoning mm. before, the, before this earth is destroyed as it is and recreated as a, a combination of, of heaven and earth, a new heaven earth. So... But it, it's a bit of a futile argument because, frankly, time is one of the uh, dimensions of our space-time continuum. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's three dimensions of space and one of time. Yeah. Yeah. We step out of that into eternity. Mm. It's really a bit silly to talk about before, after, now, then. True. Yes, it's but the blink of an eye. We are we are actually in a in a kind of a, an area where time, as we know it, ceases to really. be a factor. Yeah. So I don't think it's particularly fruitful to to debate, and there's certainly not enough grounds in Scripture to to be dogmatic. Okay, so you just you just leave it. Well, we know we know there's a reckoning. Yeah. We know there's judgment. There knows yeah. account. We know there's accountability. Those are the key principles. I wonder if people will get a, a chance to redeem themselves at that point. No. Again, that one that is quite clear. Okay. Uh, that it is during this life that we have to. It's not just a question of deciding to follow Jesus. See, there's a metaphysical reality which occurs. 
A person who repents, who cries out, repent means uh, I turn away from my trust in myself for mm. salvation. Mm. Uh, I apologize, Lord, for, for ignoring you. Mm. I ask you, Lord Jesus, please, by virtue of what you have done for me on the cross of Calvary, mm. to give me a new spiritual existence. And that's the, the rebirth of the Spirit, the born-again ex- experience. Now, without that, there's a, there's a metaphysical difference. When we are born again, something is added back into our humanity, which wasn't yeah. there before. Yeah. It's that which, which transcends death and mm. lives on in the presence mm. of God, Spirit. Mm. So it's not just a kind of an intellectual thing, it's metaphysical. So if a person is not born of the Spirit, then that person cannot be eternally with Jesus mm. and remain separated. Sure, such a short time to, to get it right. Well, fortunately, we don't have to get too much right other than truthfully wanting to follow Jesus and accepting the salvation that he offers. True. And then we try and work out our salvation with fear and trembling <laughs> as God works in us to do his good purpose. Okay. Um, I don't think I have any other questions. I'm not going to go near the Scientology because I'm... <laughs> frankly slightly scared of them (laughs) (laughs) and uh, I don't know any so maybe you can just sort of we can end off by you know how how we would approach these different um, camps of belief the 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 one where Jesus is the the be-all and end-all and the other one where he is a prophet slash whatever how we how we interact with with people that we come across on a day-to-day basis if we're working with a a Muslim or a a Buddhist or whatever. Okay. So, you know, Christianity has been accused of being um, dogmatic and exclusive. And in a sense, of course, it is because Jesus has declared that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. So when we're interacting with anybody, Mm. with agnostics or atheists or Buddhists or whoever, that is the truth. But Mm. that truth needs to be spoken about from a a heart Mm. of love and respect. So we don't try and win people over through argument. We try Mm. and um, deal with them as as children of God in a sense. You know, everybody's made in the image of God. And we respect them and we want to listen to them and understand where they're coming from. And if we really do care for them, then we will want them to hear truth. It's up to them then Mm. whether they accept that truth or not. Well, hopefully they'll look at us and they will want what we have. That would be the the right thing, you know. And the scripture talks about how the Jews, uh, religious Jews, were amazed at the disciples. And then they said, but they noted that they had been with Jesus. So they saw this huge difference. These simple yeah. peasant men had been changed and transformed. Yeah, if people look at us Christians and said, well you know, whatever you whatever you have, I want that too, it would be wonderful. Mm. And then yeah, our words ideal. and our lives would then synchronize. Mm. That would be a good place to end. Hey? <laughs> that would be <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Daddy, and thanks everyone for Goodbye, listening. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth is the Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics, or purchase one of Dr. Pepler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. And remember, truth talks.